0: You're listening to a 3CR podcast of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Welcome to Unemployed Unemployed Workers Workers Fight Back. Back. Join your hosts Anne and Kevin the second Friday of every month on The Sewer Show
1: between 5.30 and 6.30 p.m.
0: Here on 3CR Community Community Radio. Radio.
1: This is a show where we explore macroeconomic solutions
0: for the unemployed and underemployed.
1: Everyone
0: Everyone in in our our community community has values.
1: To Unemployed unemployed Workers Fight Back
0: back. Back. Join your hosts, Anne
1: And Kevin, that's me
0: The second and fourth Friday of each month on The Sewer Show
1: Between 5.30 and 6.30pm
0: Here on 3CR Community Radio Radio.
1: This is a show where we explore macroeconomic solutions
0: For the unemployed and underemployed Everyone Everyone in in our our community community has value. value
1: To Unemployed Workers Fight Back Again, Anne. Hello. We just heard Magnificent Moon from Life, who played at the bowl not long ago. Now, we're, we're going to be um, taking a bit more of a, a modern money approach to the shows this year, I believe. Is, is that correct? I think we, we...
0: we keep on leaning more and more towards the modern monetary theory way of looking at things.
1: The reason we got involved with the unemployed workers is because it ties in very neatly with our broader macroeconomic discussion. Uh, and a lot of the things that we learn about macroeconomics through modern monetary theory have big implications for the unemployed. It means that um, they can be funded properly, um, which is why we talk about it. But anyway, that's kind of like just going to be a shift in direction for us. Did Mm. I I say what the date was today? I always like to say the date at the beginning of the show. It's Friday the 12th of February.
0: You're a human date stamp.
1: What happened between uh, the last show we did and this was Australia Day, Anne?
0: Ooh, I think I slept in.
1: There's always a lot of controversy about Australia Day. People, you know, mm-hmm. say you need to change the date and the rest of it. But I like Australia Day, Anne.
0: Ooh, controversy, Kevin.
1: Because every time we have Australia Day, this this topic gets raised. People becoming more and more aware of the ludicrous situation we find ourselves in, and it's not losing momentum. It's not going away. It's just getting bigger and bigger. So this mm-hmm. this battlefield over the, the controversy that is Australia Day
0: the meaning of australia day
1: every 26th of january, january it goes off again mm-hmm. and everybody gets involved in the argument and i think that's good because it makes people aware of this issue and more and more mainstream australians are going ah oh, oh this is this is a bit controversial isn't it because of because well because we're a bunch of arseholes and we <laughs> we invaded the joint and that's not really that good <laughs> is it <laughs>
2: well uh,
0: you know you can acknowledge history without self-proclaiming yourself as an asshole, but yes, it, it's definitely a history that I'm learning more about as well, you know? And so I'm, I'm really um, glad that it's coming up.
1: I wake up in the morning and quite off when I turn, uh, turn on the ABC News. It's, it's, that's my normal start of the day. And so I did the same thing on Australia Day. Uh, and before nine o'clock, they had the Indigenous Australia Day ceremony and they had a, uh, Advanced Australia Fair being sung in Native... Tongue the there was an Aboriginal mob on stage and they're dancing, uh, doing the you know connected to country stuff. They're they're, they're dancing like uh, emus and, and 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 kangaroos and it was it was kind of beautiful. It was a nice little stage and and there's a grassy slope and there was a good crowd there. I was watching this performance, going, wow, that that's really nice. That's a that's a really good connection. I, I still don't know if I'm entirely comfortable with the local mob singing. The national anthem. I don't know. I've never sung the national anthem. I've never connected with mm-hmm. it. I've I never liked. It. I don't know the words. <laughs> to me, it's a, it's a it's a really whitewashed anthem, and I just I, I refuse to sing it because it just doesn't represent me. You know, it's mm-hmm. better than um, "God Save the Queen" that we used to have to sing when I was in primary school. But it's still <laughs> <step> shit. <laughs> it's 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 nonsense. You know, and they've only just decided to change that word uh, for "We are young and free" to "We are one and free." It doesn't recognize the enormous back history of this place it's just so what are you learning
0: about that history like what are you finding out
1: what what happened to me was um back in the 90s i moved into a house in aspendale down by the beach when i moved in there then my next door neighbor was this woman called ruby she was quite old and she was the granddaughter of the first white guy who had moved south of Mordiala Creek, a fellow called John Watkins. John Watkins came over in the 1800s to try and find his father, who was a sea captain, who died before he got there. And Mm -hmm. then he set up shop um, down this neck of the woods. There's Watkins Bay down near um, Morris Mentone there. Uh, And then he moved south of Mordiala Creek. And there was an Aboriginal settlement around Mordiala Creek, uh, which was a settlement where they'd pushed... Uh, the local mob out of Melbourne and down to Morty Alec and then they pushed them again further down towards Sale somewhere. They just yeah. kept on pushing him out the way. Yeah. But anyway, there was an Aboriginal settlement uh, around Morty Alec and then John Watkins moved down there uh, around 1900, late 1800s, early 1900s. And I'm living next to his granddaughter and mm-hmm. I'm thinking to myself, not so long ago, none of these houses were here. This was... This was Aboriginal land. The guy across the road from me is this fellow called Martin. He's this um, eccentric old school teacher. And he did all this research and stuff. And he found out that Port Phillip Bay was just full of seafood. They were pulling crays and lobsters and and oysters and everything out of the bay because it was just a plentiful supply of seafood. And John Watkins was a fisherman. So he'd just go out into the bay, pull all this stuff out of the bay, shove it on a train and send it to Melbourne. And that's how he made his his living. Uh, But what impressed upon me was that you have people talking about how all this stuff happened in the past and Mm. and it's too long ago and you know what could we possibly do it's all ancient history and i'm going it's not ancient history this this
0: it's not so long ago it's really current you know so in Um, the figure of that woman you were sort of touching history and and the change is is not a small change so it's not so long ago and it's been a huge change as well
1: within three generations the place has gone from being a really well looked after environment which Mm -hmm. is beautiful and thriving
0: garden of eden to
1: suburbia and you just go oh no you know it that and that really got me thinking about just how current we are and i don't know much about this stuff i'm I'm a complete amateur but this is me you know middle-aged white guy just picking Mm -hmm. up threads here and there this whole thing about how how it's all too too long in the past well i was born in the early 60s if i was a local guy um born in the 1960s i'm not calling him aborigines because it's a white it's a white term they were locals okay so the local mob here who'd been here forever like tens of thousands of years when they were born here we, we didn't recognize them as they were um fauna they were like no difference between them and a kangaroo, just um, you know, and that's outrageous. Isn't and it? So that, that changed that changed in '67 with the referendum. But that's in my lifetime. Okay, when I was born, yes, the local mob were regarded as animals, and that's wow. that's that's not a long time ago.
0: That's incredible, isn't it? Yeah, ah, in our you know, lifetimes, I, they were recognised as citizens of the country. Yeah.
1: You know, uh, and I read Stan Grant's um, uh, autobiography. He's an interesting case, Stan Grant, because he's a very acceptable face of the local mob. Uh, he's making it easier for us whiteys, uh, mm. who he presents with so well, to, to understand some of the complexities of, of the um, of the situation. You know, so he was raised... Uh, transient his old man was uh, picking up bits and pieces of work here he should have ended up on the fringes so i find stan grant quite yeah. quite fascinating so
0: our job is really just to listen you know
1: <laughs> i understand the contradiction here i am middle-aged white guy on radio talking, mm-hmm. talking, and talk and talking, when I should be listening, mm-hmm. listening, listening. It's not lost on me, you know, so.
0: <laughs> but this is people's personal histories. You know, this isn't just something that's in some old, dusty old textbook. This is somebody's great-great-grandmother and great-great-grandfather.
3: The media in this country, we as Indigenous people know, have censored our right of telling the truth, and the truth is what this country is most fearful of, in particular Indigenous truths until history is told by the vanquished lens which is our people telling our story our way and have the right to be able to incorporate that into a system of learning well people are always going to be denied that truth by deceit and lies. When you look at the type of psychological warfare Spiritual warfare that Aboriginal people are caught in—it's not just in the sense of military. When they talk about weapons of mass destruction, but you're right—it's in terms of the media and the industry of media as a warfare against our people. And so is religion, I believe, in the Western sense. They're, they're all weapons of mass destruction against our our people.
0: We need to keep radical voices on air. Subscribe now. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. Or call the station on nine four one nine eight three seven seven.
1: So we're having a bit of discussion post Australia Day about uh, about Whitey's place in Australia uh, and how a lot of the damage is said to have occurred way in the past and it's too late to do anything about it, but. Another thing which strikes me is a lot of the impact that we've had as a as a white population happened after World War Two. It, it appears to me that there was a lot of Aboriginal communities that were left alone. They were mm-hmm. they they'd been affected, but they, their culture was still intact. It was kind of like, okay, we'll we'll pinch this nice spot here in Melbourne and we'll push them out the back, or we'll we'll pinch Sydney and we'll push them out the back. But out mm-hmm. the back, things were still pretty much intact, and I think there was the expectation that the Population, the local population would be wiped out, and when that didn't happen, they said, "Radio, well, we'll just assimilate them." And I reckon the assimilation ramped right up after World War Two. But mm-hmm. when we're talking about ancient history, no, we're not. We're talking about post-World War Two uh, massive indoctrination and kind of assimilation. Mm-hmm. If we if we can't extinguish them, then then we'll just we'll make them all like us, you know, and. Mm-hmm. These things, they weigh heavily on me. I, I, I find it very difficult to find my place on this continent with this background, you know.
0: Yeah, I know you've been giving this a lot of thought lately, and especially with what you've been reading about. I guess I <laughs> I skirt around, but I, I know it's sitting there, you know. There's something to claim about our own heritage, working it through to sort of where are we all going to in the future.
1: I can't see how personally myself how i can get comfortable living in this place unless we sort that stuff out and it's always shoved to the side it's just pushed to the side and and um it's too long ago it's too hard or it's too this you know johnny howard refusing to say sorry that sort of stuff it's just appalling behavior you know um, just at the very basic level just doing the bare minimum to acknowledge the harm you've done oh no i can't do that well either Either he, he understood how much harm had been done and he was so ashamed of what had happened or he's, you know, as is, as is far more likely, just a denialist and doesn't want to deal with it. Yeah. Um, but that, that sort of stuff. And, and Scotty Morrison's no bloody better. Part he's, of
0: it too is we're not learning our lesson. Like we came in and trashed the place and we're still trashing the place when you think of yeah. what's going on with sacred sites. And...
1: It, it actually ties into the economic macroeconomic discussions that we have at the moment. Mm-hmm. Because right now... We're a very neoliberal society, and it's all about the individual. Um, what do they call it? The rational economic man. It, it's all about the selfish person. Right. Uh, and that is in stark contrast to uh, what a lot of people are talking about with socialism, etc. You, you need to think of society. You need to think of, uh, of your place in context. You can't just think of yourself. When you think about the local culture that was here before we arrived, they seem to work collectively You know, they had all the little different countries, languages, uh, areas. um, But you were born into a functioning society. You had a role to play. You were given a totem. You had to look after this. You had to uh, work the land. Everybody had their part to play. It doesn't seem like they were a a culture of individuals. They had the environment running beautifully because they were working collectively and they were working together. They were functioning. And that's the complete opposite of neoliberalism. So I'm fascinated to see what that can teach us.
0: Yeah, well, the idea that we didn't have anything to learn, that there wasn't some kind of mutual exchange possible, <laughs> just just phenomenally like oblivious, to say the least.
1: The way that we have come into this place is just so arrogant. Or well, the other mm-hmm. thing about the, um, uh, I was talking about the the Australia Day celebration. So, so you had the uh, the local mob doing all their their dances. It's it's all connected to country. And I I left the station on, and after nine o'clock, the the official, you know, government uh, Australia Day celebration start, and what does it start with? A, a bloody flyover of military jets, and then you've got yes. soldiers with guns marching, and you're going,
0: yes,
1: you couldn't be more bloody blatant, could you? You know, the only yes. reason you guys are here is because because you're more violent, and you mm-hmm. and you manage to to bloody walk all over these people with violence, and that's and that's and you're proud of that. That's what mm-hmm. you want to display on mm-hmm. Australia Day. Oh, look at us, we're we're violent. We've got bigger mm-hmm. guns.
0: A lot of nations do that. It's not just Australia. I know. <laughs> the military does feature in the national national celebration.
1: It's just barbaric. I don't relate to it. These people don't represent me. It leaves me feeling lost. Scott Morrison has nothing to do with me. Um, the national mm. anthem, I don't relate to at all. Uh, and yet yeah. I'm in this place. Mm. So a bit lost, you know? A bit lost, don't know which, where is, it fit in.
0: which is good. Just acknowledge where you are. If it's lost, it's lost.
2: Daughter Ruby Granddaughter to The first mark I live South of Morty Alley Creek That's not that long ago Before her granddad turned up 100,000 locals Had been living here on country Biggest estate on be white but even I I
3: We need to end to the war in this country, and the only way we can do that is through a peace treaty, not the one you see in Victoria, not the one you see in Queensland, not the one you see in the Northern Territory, because they talk treaty and still lock our people up. They still kill our people. They still desecrate our land and our water. A treaty means peace. A treaty means equality. And a treaty means
0: justice. Thank you. Subscribe to 3CR in 2021. Feed Radical Radio. Subscribe today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. Or call the station on 94198377. Did I hear a familiar voice in in that song?
1: Well... We we can talk about uh, all this stuff about the local mob and the rest of it, and I just thought I'd sing it instead because it's the same thing. It's like talking with music, so and, and that's called a song. So yes, oh.
0: <laughs> lovely, lovely to hear Kevin's thoughts in music. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was just thinking what you're talking about with um, you know the original. Uh, inhabitants of Australia just to point out that they did live in an, in non-monetary systems I think as far as I know they weren't using money yeah. to coordinate their activity and you know these days just through modern monetary theory I've just come to think of money as the way that a society organises its activity, you know the way it organises it, what people do um, and what they do with the resources at hand and so Money is one way of doing that, but you don't have to use money. And I think for me, the jury is still out as to whether you can have a complex civilization without money. And I know there's a lot of thinkers out there who are trying to get to post monetary systems. Personally, I think that's a bit idealistic just because of the. The number of people you're talking about and the complexity—like, I, I can't imagine how you would develop a vaccine without a monetary system.
1: <laughs> well, there's there's two post-monetary um, uh, uh, societies that I know of. Mm. Uh, one is one is Star Trek, <laughs> and the other one and the other one is the is the local mob that was here before we came yeah. here. You know, so th- they were so far ahead of their time. They they were Star Trekking <laughs> before we got here. <laughs>
0: Maybe so. We've got to pay attention. Maybe we've got to
1: so. we've got to find out more about the, about these mobs because they they sound like they had their stuff together. Yeah. You're listening to Unemployed Workers Fight Back, a show all about the economics and experience
0: of unemployment and underemployment. Here on Three CR Community Radio. Now, speaking of. Uh our esteemed leader, <laughs> and racism. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Darren Quinn, who is a proponent of modern monetary theory, he wrote an article recently in Australian Real Progressives, which you can find online. He was uh, mentioning uh, what Scotty got up to on the Ray Hadley morning show on 2GB back on the 20th of January. So have a listen to this.
3: Prime Minister, good morning. G'day, Ray. No, we we can't run the Australian economy on government money forever. Mm. I mean we've had to step in at a very serious time and we've done that, but now we've got the hard job of getting the Australian economy back on its own feet and uh, and that's why we've been you know going through that gear change on JobKeeper and Job Seeker. Four hundred and fifty thousand businesses came off it and more than two million Australians um, who won taxpayer you know funded income support, basically on JobKeeper, no longer needed it. And so, you know, we've got to keep that going this year uh, because it's all it's all taxpayers' money. It's all it's all debt, and it's got to be paid back.
0: So, Kevin, it's all debt, and it's got to be paid back. <laughs> That's what Scott. is It's just plans. outrageous.
1: <laughs> do you reckon they know how much they're lying, or do you reckon they're just ignorant? It's it's they're either yeah. stupid or or deceitful. Or
0: yeah, possible, which, but, which is know. it? Which would? And, I mean, the thing is, like, there's Scotty. He's taking a leaf out of Margaret Thatcher's playbook back from the 1980s where um, she was saying that there's no such thing as public money. It's all taxpayer money. An interesting thing that Darren was pointing out, which I hadn't quite clocked before, which is that this taxpayer myth and it is a myth, it's actually racist and sexist as well as classist. So I just sort of understood how it's classist because essentially it just divides the workers into the upstanding citizen taxpayers and then those who are bludging off the taxpayers. So I understood that but I hadn't quite cottoned on to how it's also racist and sexist. And Darren says, you know, well just do this just do this thought experiment. Picture in your head, what does this mythological taxpayer that we're all imagining is paying for social security and and the so, the social safety net? What do they look like in your head? You know, they're not likely to look like a homeless aboriginal transgender teenager, are they? Ah. <laughs> or they're not likely, you know, they're not likely to look like a Sudanese migrant day laborer, you know, waiting in line to get a job at the local abattoir.
1: It's all your typical 9 to 5, uh, mm-hmm. you know, doing the work. That's 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 who mm-hmm. we're supposed to aspire to be.
0: Who is and who isn't a taxpayer? And that mythology, that mythological character that gets created, that's another way of dividing your working class, right? Why do we say there's no such thing as this taxpayer? And the reason we say that from the modern monetary theory perspective is that Modern monetary theory points out that the government is not collecting taxes in order to spend. None of the spending that the government does, including paying for unemployment benefits or the job seeker or the job keeper, None of that money came out of taxpayer pockets.
1: This causes people a lot of confusion, and I I think Mm. um, we need to just give the last recent example of how this actually works. People go, oh, how could that possibly be? If our taxes don't pay for for government spending, where does it come from? We've said this a thousand times before, just as it did with JobKeeper and JobSeeker. There's a bill passed in in Parliament. They have a discussion. They say, we're going to have a, a JobKeeper package or a JobSeeker package. They chat about it. It gets passed. It's called an appropriations bill. That's sent to tre- um, Treasury. Treasury then instructs the Reserve Bank of Australia to start uh, transferring the money uh, electronically. Now, no taxes have been collected and no money has been borrowed. It's just simple currency creation by the Reserve Bank of Australia upon instruction from the the government of the day. So when people go, oh, where does the money come from? That's where it comes from. That's the process. <laughs> nothing tricky about that. It
0: comes from the government typing those numbers that we all know about, those numbers, into people's bank accounts. Yeah. So it's not growing on rich people. It's not coming out of taxpayer pockets. So to use the taxpayer myth, effectively what you're doing is you're invoking these uh, racist, sexist, classist categories because this is not how the economy works. It's not how the money monetary system works. It's not how taxes work. You
1: can't use that argument saying, my taxes are paying for this and my taxes are paying for that. No, they're not. So mm-hmm. if you think that... That you have the right because you're a good little hamster in the wheel, and you go to work uh, nine to five, and you and you earn your money, and and you pay your taxes, and therefore you've got the right to make all of these these claims about how I shouldn't be spending my money on these dull bludges or you know those buddy uh, lazy lazy what what whatsoever's. Mm-hmm. You're not. Exactly. You're paying taxes for many other reasons. We can talk about that some mm-hmm. other time. So you know, exactly. pull your head back yeah. in. Yeah.
0: And so, you know, Darren also points out in this article that given that the Australian Federal Government can issue or can spend as much money as it can put through that process through Parliament and the Treasury and the Central Bank, he points out that, you know, if we've got enough housing for homeless people and if we've got enough food to feed the hungry and if we've got enough medicine for sick people, then we can do it because we've always got the money to pay for it.
1: <laughs> and as uh, progressive economists constantly remind us, the only constraint on currency creation is productive capacity. There needs to be something to show for the dollar. That's that's what keeps um, your economy in balance. Uh, but look, I've been playing some music this week, Anne, because there's all this excellent music happening at the My Music Bowl uh, due to the lockdowns that have occurred. They're, they're putting on all these bands. So I'm just playing um, uh, bands who uh, are playing at the bowl. Uh, We saw Mildlife earlier on, and uh, now I'm going to play the Murlocs.
2: subscribe.
1: We need to remind our listeners, Larry and Larissa Listener, that uh, there's a subscriber drive coming up uh, pretty soon. It starts on the 15th of February, so we we need to make sure that uh, if you are in a position to subscribe, you can. It's been a bit of a tricky last 12 months, uh, and so now is quite a crucial time to make sure that 3CR can continue so think about that as it's um, coming up uh, before that we heard from the Murlocs with their tune called My Compromise uh, uh, and the Murlocs are, uh, were playing at the Bowl uh, last Monday. Uh, there's a whole bunch of really good bands, local bands, all being put up uh, as, as a response to the, the, um, the COVID downturn. They're all uh, thumping it out the Bowl because it's an open-air venue. And it's been really good. I've been to quite a few of the shows, and it's been great. But uh, I'd like to steer the conversation towards what's a common theme uh, in our current economic environment, and it's defining where the battlefield is. Mm-hmm. People say, ah, oh, you know, it's the socialist versus democracy, or it's the it's communists versus capitalism. It nothing, none of that sits right because China's communist and it's capitalist. It's it's <laughs> on, on a big capital venture at the moment. It's trying to it is creating the largest uh, middle class in the world at an enormous rate. So uh, so the Chinese who have been impoverished are now. Uh, entering the middle class they live in nice houses they've got cars and the rest of it and that's what's um building that that's capitalist but they're a communist country so it's not capitalism versus communism it's not socialism versus democracy because there are socialist democracies uh you know, russia's a poor example but um uh, but there are others you know where they they actually have elections and and one of the choices is a so- socialist government so so what what are the, the polls um the more i think about it it's socialism versus neoliberalism Mm. socialism is is all about operating uh cohesively as a society where everybody like we're talking before about the aboriginal communities and this is why i really i want to explore to see how local communities operated here before whitey arrived because Mm. they seem to be collectors are very environmental everybody had their their role to play very Mm. socialist and the neoliberals have been very sneaky because they've, they've disassociated themselves from the term neoliberalism. But this is what they are. Neoliberals are all about the individual. I've got to look after me. If I look after me, that's going to be good for society. All I've got to do is maximise my position on, on the um, on the face of the earth. And by doing so, that's going to be a good thing for society. Well, that's a load of crap. That just basically means if you're a greedy bastard, you're, you're supposed to feel good about yourself. Well, you shouldn't. Um, but th- But that's the battlefield. It's neoliberalism. Versus socialism, as far as I, what do you reckon, Anne?
0: I found it quite useful and also, in a way, liberating. Just really helpful to be able to use that word neoliberal. And it was the modern monetary economists who I first heard using it, like in a really precise way, to describe. The kinds of economics that get proposed out of neoliberalism, I thought, oh yeah, if you if you can use the word, and it really helps you to see and um, identify when it's at work and how it's at work and what it's doing, and I can understand, like you say, that history where they sort of tried to erase the word, the Chicago School back in the 1950s and. Milton Friedman and and all those other economists—they're actually quite proud of the word neoliberal to start with—and then they realised, as you say, that, that they weren't gaining traction in the popular imagination. So they then they had to go undercover. They hid the
1: name, but they but they've been very successful in instituting the characteristics of neoliberalism into society now. To the to the point where you know you look at Labour, who are supposed mm. to be the workers' party, they've adopted neoliberalism as part of their. Operating platform, they kind of have to, you know, um, if they if they want to stay relevant with a Murdoch um, press that's going to shoot them down otherwise.
0: So, so what does that look like when when people are buying into the neoliberal worldview? Like, what exactly are they agreeing with and sort of perpetuating? And I think one of the things is that they they do buy into this myth that the government can run out of money, like that the government can become yeah. insolvent, and therefore. To be a good economic manager, <laughs> it means that you try not to spend money. In fact, if you can, you try to run a surplus. You try to run a
1: surplus. Wayne Swan tried to run a surplus. What What for? Well, it's pointless, you know. Um, <laughs> and, and Paul Keating, with his with his superannuation, he's basically privatising um, retirement. Uh, he's saying, mm. listen, you guys are going to have to look after your own retirement. We're, we're, we're not going to look after you now. Um, good luck, guys. There you go. So you've got the superannuation thing going on. That's, that's a government absolving itself of responsibility of looking after the age population, okay. which is just growing larger and larger.
0: Yeah, so almost everywhere you look, isn't it? There's, there's this neoliberal ideology is informing these decisions that the government is making, whether it's on the conservative or um, supposedly on the workers' party side.
1: Yeah, and, and look, um, I was reading this book. I've, I've mentioned a few times Democracy in Chains um, mm-hmm. where they describe how the, the the far right in the United States uh, organised and, and they'd, they'd come in and take over universities. So you've got the the um, Chicago uh, School of Economics or the, there was another one in Massachusetts and Virginia or I'm just trying to remember the names, but they'd basically mm-hmm. rock in, take over a uh, a legal department or the economics department of a university and they'd be funded by... Uh, industrialists Koch is is a perfect example Charles Koch would come in and and they'd put in the professors teaching the neoliberal school of economics uh, that they wanted Mm. and so that's how the students would be taught and you'd graduate with this neoliberal understanding of how the economy works and you're therefore employed as an economist by the government Uh, if you're a lawyer you become a politician you become a judge uh, and you, you have this neoliberal fundamental understanding of how society works and it's now law and people are, yeah. are being appointed as in high positions and they're winning Nobel Prizes, economists winning Nobel yeah. Prizes for their neoliberal kind of work. So it becomes the norm. Yeah. We had Milton Friedman in Australia advising the government and I think it might have if it happened with Keating. I, I know it happened with Fraser but he might have come over with, with Keating as well. Not sure about that. Should check and see. Mm. Because they're renowned economists Yeah,
0: I'd love to know more of the history on that one Yeah, Uh, Mm. and so
1: so we end up with Mm. these just being normal institutions
0: Mm. And you end up like four decades later with your Prime Minister Saying that COVID supplement is all about the taxpayers paying the money And it's creating this debt that we have to pay back And that is playbook neoliberal economics (laughs) Yeah,
1: well we're going to come back to that Because uh, I'm going to put this whole uh, debt thing Um, we talked about bonds and debt a lot. But we're going to play a song and uh, Mm. we'll come back and have a little discussion about that.
2: Hi, this is Ed Cooper and you're listening to Unemployed Workers Fight Back on 3CR with Anne and Kev. Hi, this is Ed Cooper and you're listening to Anne and Kev on 3CR with their Unemployed Workers Fight Back program. That's my th- 3 Triple M version. <laughs> okay.
1: On Unemployed Workers Fight Back on 3CR with Anne and Kev. Uh, that was Close Counters, who played at the Maya Music Bowl last Monday with their song Solar Coaster. Great band. All uh, oh, great local talent just here in Melbourne. I can't believe it. It uh, always blows me away. Now, we're going to try and squeeze in uh, a little bit of a talk about bonds, but before we get to the bonds thing and the battlefield between socialism and neoliberalism, is a reflection on what people regard as human nature. Mm. I'm reading a book called Donut Economics by Kate Raworth, which is a very good introduction to progressive economics. Uh, and it describes the, the model that's used for the neoliberal ideology as homo-economists, the, <laughs> the rational economic man. Okay, And the rational economic man desires to possess wealth, dislikes work and loves luxury. So the neoliberal economic model is based on accommodating Mm. a lazy, greedy man. I know some rational economic men and I don't like them. (laughs) (laughs) They're the people I try to avoid.
0: I was just thinking, you know, if you get a rational economic woman... You would not be maximizing your comfort and your leisure time by being pregnant and giving birth to a child.
1: <laughs> it's such a simplistic model, but but it's based on this kind of like um, it's a really primitive view of human nature, which is to say, me first. Everything's mm. a competition, uh, survival of the fittest, survival of the strongest. That's just human nature. I don't know what what stage of of human nature that was. I think it's pre Homo erectus. It's it's like this this is barbaric <laughs> stuff. It's
0: <laughs> pre terrible twos. You're all having a tantrum. Yeah. yeah. I mean,
1: <laughs> if I think about human nature, and there and there are some studies to back this up, we work best when we work collectively, and when we all chip in and help. You know. So mm. so what model of a, a human being do you want? Do you want this selfish, barbaric, competitive model? Is that, is that what you aspire to be, or do you do you aspire to be part of a high functioning collective where every Everybody chips in and helps and if somebody needs assistance they've got it and if you want if you want to flourish you're going to have a support base behind you i, I mean that's what i think about when i think about human nature yeah that's, yeah that's what i aspire to something
0: I, I still can't quite get my head around when you talk about this model of a human and i know that this literally goes into these economic models which look like pages and pages of formulas you know so look like all this mathematics and i'm I, I can't quite understand how you go from that description of a human <laughs> into an economic model. Like, what does that look like exactly? Do
1: you know what it looks like? It looks like what came out of the Chicago School of, uh, of Economics. <laughs> they base the, the human being on this rational economic man who's a greedy arsehole, and they build their economic mm. platform around that. That's so, so we know what it looks like. We're living in it. Yeah. Interestingly, uh, it was noted in this book that the people who are attracted to economics tend to be the people who fit that model the best as well, which is to say people who like to do (laughs) economics are greedy arseholes.
0: You know, I've heard that. But, you know, in my small experience of the uh, world of academic economics, I have to say I have met a lot of people who go into the field with high ideals. Like they realise that it's our economic system that is behind the the global warming and the the looming climate catastrophe, and they realise that it's behind uh, injustice and economic inequality, and so they want to learn the economics so they can figure out how to fix this mess. So so my my idea of economics, or of you know if we're going to characterise the profession, and I've heard I've heard economists themselves describe their profession as full of sociopaths. <laughs> <laughs> but but, I think it's the sociopaths who rise to the top because of how the whole the whole discipline is structured. as you say, it's taken decades of lots of money from lots of um, very rich people to create all these institutions um, that then the people who succeed in that environment they're they're the the rational economic actors yeah
1: and they set and they set it up to, for themselves.
0: Yeah, and what drops by the wayside because a lot of people become disenCHANTED. I've also heard a lot of people say, oh, "I did, you know, a year or two of undergrad economics, and it was all maths, and it all made no sense to me, and it didn't seem to be going anywhere that I wanted to go, so I dropped out and started doing, you know, ec- uh, you know, ec- ecology or something." <laughs> you
1: know? And you wonder why the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. It's because the people that who are running the show are greedy arseholes. Because the system's set up to uh, cater for them the best
0: to reward yeah. that. Yeah.
1: So they do. I've got to say, the mob that we hang out with—people from modern monetary theory and uh, an economist mm-hmm. like uh, Bill Mitchell and, and Martin, and Martin Watson Watts and, and, and
0: James Juniper and Randall Ray—are just the
1: loveliest Trump people Trump. in the world. They but
0: they're not the sociopaths. But,
1: no, they're regarded as fringe dwellers in this um, in this field <laughs>
0: because they want to
1: they want to change things for the better. You know, um, but it, but it's all about appealing to this this uh, rational economic man, who to me is an arsehole and, and we need to have economists who understand human nature a lot more of its complexities and a lot more of its socialist collective attributes. Mm. That, that we mm. can't uh, live without. And if they did yeah. that, we, we'd have a much better uh, economic system. Anyway, so, you know, well, there's a few of them around.
0: Yeah, so it's, well, it's well known that the economics profession has gotten isolated and therefore completely disconnected in a really weird way from the other social sciences. So, so they've sort of disconnected themselves from social dynamics and from biology and from psychology and so on. So they need to really be brought back into, into the field and connect with reality.
1: Hey, um, and we're supposed to talk about bonds, but we've run out of time. So I'm going to summarise bonds in like 20 seconds. When the government says it needs to borrow money, which is highly dubious, it issues bonds, uh, which are sold to commercial banks, who then on-sell it into the secondary market and earn interest. But guess who's buying all the bonds in the secondary market? At the moment, the Reserve Bank of Australia is buying the bonds that initially issued by Treasury. So the government is buying its own <laughs> debt. That's called quantitative easing. And it's just done that to the tune Good of $200 on. billion.
0: Phil, 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 what are you doing?
1: Well, well he's buying <laughs> bonds from his own government. It's it's nonsense. Yeah. Anyway, we've got to go. Other shows are on three CR, not just us. Uh, we have to make room for Mafalda that's coming up next. Nice to speak to you again, And This is another one of these uh, lovely casual shows mm. um, where we just get to reflect and and toss around some ideas and listen to a bit of music. So, nice. um, but next week we're going to come back with uh, with some of more of your. Hard hitting, (laughs) brain melting uh, (laughs) interviews with people who know uh, far more than we do and stretch our brains.
0: Uh,
2: So, until
1: then, see you later.
0: You've been listening to Unemployed Workers Fight Back.
1: Join us the second and fourth Friday of each and every month as part of the Sewer Show on 3CR.
0: Listen to this show as a podcast by going to 3cr.org.au.
1: We thank all our guests and I thank you, Anne.
0: And I thank you, Kevin. Oh, no,
1: the pleasure was all mine.
0: Oh, no, Kevin, the pleasure was all mine. You mean all the pleasure was yours? You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.